The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will give up, get up and give him what he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The parable Jesus tells in our scripture passage today is a short one. But there is so much to learn from this story. I want to spend the first few minutes talking about a couple of different perspectives through which we can understand the parable Jesus tells before settling in on our major theme for the day. This passage at its heart is primarily a passage about the power of persistent prayer. Jesus says, keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. There is power in prayer. Because sometimes our prayers result in God's tremendous intervention in the world. There are times when God intercedes in majestic ways to transform a situation or solve a problem or bring healing. God can do that. And God does do that. There are times when we pray that God changes things out there, but there are also times when we pray that God changes things inside of us. I want to just note the promise of Christ in this passage. Jesus promises that if we keep asking and we keep seeking and we keep knocking, that we are eventually going to receive. Fine. The doors are going to be open to us. But if you'll notice, here's what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say that if we ask, we are necessarily going to get what we asked for. Just that if we ask, we will receive. He doesn't say that if we seek, we'll find what we were searching for, only that if we seek, we will find. Or that if we knock, the door we're knocking on is the door that's going to open. It might be another door. Sometimes the things we pray for, sometimes the things we ask and seek and knock are not the things we need. Jesus offers a promise here about our willingness to be engaged in persistent prayer. He says that if we are willing to pray, our God will hear us and our God will give us exactly what we need. Perhaps it wasn't what we wanted or expected, but it will be exactly what we need. 
That's one great lesson from this story. Keep praying. God hears you and will give you what you need. It's worth noting, however, that there's a second character in the story. Not just the man who knocks, but the guy who was inside the house. The man who, when his neighbor first knocked on his door, the man was snug in his bed and did not want to help his friend. (laughs) Can you imagine if one of your neighbors showed up at your house unannounced to bring you or ask you for a cup of sugar? Can you imagine if they did that at midnight? Really, think about that. It's a, it's a bold request. <laughs> and unsurprisingly, the guy in the story is unwilling to acquiesce. My kids are asleep, and if I get up and they wake up, there's no telling if or when they'll go back to sleep. Please come back tomorrow. But the man who knocked was persistent. And, and so there's a second lesson we learn from the story. The story invites us to make a decision right now. To be certain that when our neighbors are in need, we've already decided we're going to help them. The man in the story had the power either to bar the door or open the door. What kind of neighbors are we going to be? The two characters in the parable teach us important lessons. The first is the lesson of persistent prayer. Ask God and God will give us what we need. The second lesson is that we model godliness when we are radically hospitable. Caring for those around us in their time of need, no matter what time it is. Those are both important lessons. But I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on another element of the story. Specifically, the setting. The story takes place at midnight. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached a famous sermon about this passage called A Knock at Midnight. And when he preached the sermon so long ago, he, he took time to describe what midnight felt like to the people in the middle of the 20th century. He described two world wars within a generation and the reality that the United States was gearing up as he preached, gearing up for another conflict in Vietnam. Dr. King described the midnight as a a cold war with the USSR. Now, I was gone the tail end of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union fell when I was 13 years old. But I still remember having to do nuclear war drills. I don't know if you remember this or not. My guess is if you're 40 years old or older, you will. In my school, we had to do nuclear war drills. If the, if the, the nukes were coming, what were we going to do? And at my school... The protocol was, get under your desk. (laughs) Thermonuclear device detonating outside, but don't worry, Rob's under his desk. (laughs) I can laugh about it all these years later, but I remember as a child, 
being really afraid. Dr. King was talking to people in the middle of the 20th century who had lived through war and were gearing up for war. He spoke to a people who were afraid, a people facing social mistrust and injustice. Dr. King said it was midnight. And his description of what was happening in the world when he preached caused me to start asking, what is it? What's it look like to feel as if we were in midnight now? My guess is that there may be some people in our community, in our congregation who are watching right now who feel as if they're experiencing kind of a midnight in their lives. After all, we're rapidly approaching a year of being relatively confined to our homes. And I I know... I know that so many of us are thriving, and I, I'm grateful for that, but even when we're thriving, there are things that we, we mourn. I talked about it a few minutes ago in the prayer time, but I mourned this week as I watched the events that unfolded at the Capitol. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. My first thought was for a friend that works there, and after talking to his wife and making sure he was okay, then I just I started thinking about all of those who have served and all of those who have given of themselves to protect our country and watching that happen. It was just, it was hard, and I, I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. It was it was tough to see that. Watching our society get to that point, being in the midst of all this lockdown, perhaps for some of us it feels like midnight. And it's interesting that when Dr. King was describing the midnight of the mid-20th century, he said, we need to remember that when facing midnight, a man knocked at a door. And he asked for three loaves of bread, and Dr. King calls those three loaves of bread the, the loaves of faith, hope, and love. He said, when we encounter midnight, we must be a people of faith. Faith in a God who promises that though others intended it for evil, God will transform it into good. Faith in a God who promises that all things will work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. At midnight, we must have faith. And then he talks about hope. I love the way Dr. King puts this. He says, So many roam wearily in the dark chambers of pessimism. So many roam wearily in the dark chambers of pessimism. And and instead... Instead of claiming our pessimism and dwelling dwelling in it and wallowing in it, Dr. King prescribes hope. He says that we must have the bread of hope because without hope we cannot truly live. And finally, he says, when we feel like it's midnight, that is when we most need the bread of love. The love we find in God, the love we find and give to one another.
Towards the end of our time, I'm going to come back to the conversation around our midnight for just a moment. But first, I, I want to share something else that Dr. King preached from his sermon about midnight. When King wrote these words, the midnight he described was one of great social discord in the United States. And so, Dr. King called on churches to be part of the healing process. In the sermon about this passage, he said of the church, he said, one of the shameful tragedies of history is that the very institution, the church, which should remove man from the midnight of racial segregation, participates in creating and perpetuating that midnight. The church, which should remove man from the midnight of racial segregation, participates in creating and perpetuating that midnight. So why would Dr. King say something like that about churches in the 1960s? Well, to understand that, I need to tell you a story. And to tell you the story, we need to take a little bit of a field trip. We're here today off of Onville Road in North Stafford. And what you see behind me is the original home of Ebenezer Church. Ebenezer was founded in the year 1856 right here on this property in North Stafford. And we came to this place to which our church has a historic connection in order to tell you a little about the Methodist Church's history. The Methodist Episcopal Church was founded in the year 1784. Methodist, because that was the name of the movement started by John Wesley. Episcopal, which just means led by bishops. The Methodist Episcopal Church, founded in 1784, began to flourish in the United States. In fact, for the next 60 years, this church exploded across the American landscape. And then, in the 1840s, something happened. A bishop of the United Methodist Church named James Osgood Andrew, his father-in-law died. And when Bishop Andrew's father-in-law died, his father-in-law left to Bishop Andrew's wife a slave that he'd owned. Now, this was a problem because the Methodist Episcopal Church had been historically staunchly opposed to slavery. And so the church said, to Bishop Andrew, Bishop, you cannot own a slave and be a bishop. Bishop Andrew said, well, it's not my slave, it's my wife's slave. And the Methodist Church did not find that to be an acceptable answer. So the Methodist Episcopal Church suspended Bishop Andrew. And reflecting the strife in our country at that time, this prompted a split in the Methodist Church. The South became the Methodist Episcopal Church South. The North remained the Methodist Episcopal Church. In fact, if you look behind me, you see the white capstone on this building. It talks about Ebenezer being founded in 1856, and next to the word Ebenezer are four letters, M-E-C-S, Methodist Episcopal Church South. When Ebenezer was founded 12 years after the split, it was founded in the geographical region of the South, and therefore was part of the Southern denomination. For 95 years, 
these two denominations remained separated over the issue of race until in the year 1939, the Methodist Episcopal Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church South came back together and they formed the Methodist Church. But still, issues of race plagued our unity. In fact, the Methodist Church institutionalized segregation in the denomination. So if you fast forward a few years from 1939, we get into the the mid-1960s, and Dr. Martin Luther King begins to talk to churches about the need to break down the walls of segregation. And above any other, he was talking to what was, at that time, the largest denomination in the United States, the Methodist Church. Dr. King called on churches like the Methodist Church to do away with segregation. And the Methodist Church heard that young pastor's call and listened. Tragically, a few short weeks after Dr. King's death in 1968, the Methodist Church joined together with the Brethren Church to form the United Methodist Church. And when it did, outlawed and eradicated all forms of formalized segregation. And more than that, the Methodist Church established something called the General Commission on Religion and Race an organization that's very purpose is to hold us accountable to being the inclusive church that Jesus Christ calls us to be. Now, you might be saying to yourself, that's interesting. It's an interesting story. And and maybe you're saying to yourself, but why are you telling us this? Well, let me start by telling you why I'm not saying this to you. None of us are responsible for what happened in the middle of the 19th century for the mistakes that churches made in that time. It probably won't surprise you that I spend a lot of time talking to people as a pastor about forgiveness. But what might surprise you is that I also spend some time talking to people about when they don't need forgiveness. You see, you're a highly functioning group of people, Ebenezer Church, and that's something I've grown to really love about you guys. But one of the things that happens with highly functioning groups of people is that we have a tendency to accept responsibility for things over which we had no authority. My friends, I'm not talking to you today about this because we're responsible for what happened 150 years ago and the mistakes that churches made then. In fact, recent generations in the church have made strides to change those injustices. So why did I tell you the story? Well, George Santayana famously said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. The Methodist Church strived to learn from the mistakes and change. Made some strides. 60 years ago, we were a segregated church. Today, my boss, our district superintendent, Reverend Dr. Charles Bates, is a person of color. And his boss, Bishop Sharma Lewis, was a rock star of a pastor in Georgia. This, this is a woman who pastored a church that grew by over 100% in just a couple of years before she was elected as a bishop in a historic election, not simply because she was the first African-American woman elected a bishop in our region, but she was the first person ever in our history to be elected on a first ballot. It just doesn't happen. She's fantastic. I just, I brought us out here today because I think we need to know that there was a time in the Methodist church when the church closed its doors to people of color. 
closed its door because of the color of people's skin. And we need to know this so we never make that mistake again. See, knowing our past helps us build a better future. Thank you so much for taking that journey with me. Last week, I shared with you that one of the dreams that came out of the work group around racial reconciliation was a community partnership with an organization called G-Cubed Community Services. This week, I want to share with you another dream that came out of the work group. Over the course of last year, the group spent several weeks together learning from a curriculum called What Lies Between Us, written by Dr. Lucretia Carter Berry. Dr. Berry uh, is someone I've had a chance to watch a number of times since then, and I'm enamored with her. She's delightful. She's smart. She's full of joy. She's compassionate. She's a woman of deep faith in Christ, and, and she's a teacher by trade. And she puts her skills as an educator into developing this workbook called What Lies Between Us. It draws on scripture, some video elements, uh, discussion questions. And the goal is to help people do one thing. Learn about the past so we can build a better future. Each year, Ebenezer recommends a curriculum for our small groups to share in across the season of Lent. And this year, along with the work group, I'm inviting our small groups to participate in Dr. Barry's study, What Lies Between Us. That was the second dream of the work group, that everyone in Ebenezer would have the opportunity to participate in this really compelling experience. So let me, let me talk about the study for just a moment. The workbook itself, What Lies Between Us, has nine chapters in it, but the first two chapters are, are pretty short, and they're actually designed to be done by the individual before you start the study with the group. That leaves seven weeks in the study for seven weeks in Lent. So it fits perfectly. There uh, are video components for each week of the study. The first three weeks involve a documentary. And and there's a lot of of watching and not much discussion early on. And then there's less watching and much more discussion later on. It's It's a really interesting process. I thought that the documentary called Race, the Power of an Illusion was really powerful, especially, especially the first installment of it. The study comes with these video elements and, 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 and discussion questions. The study is designed in such a way that it's very accessible. I was honestly and deeply moved by this study. There were things I learned that I had no knowledge of before. I learned about the past to try and help create a better future. I like the study but I don't want you just to take my word on it. So here's an invitation from some folks who joined in the study last year. Hi, Ebenezer. This is John and Debbie Nash. The reason we decided to join the What Lies Between Us study is because I wanted to learn more about racism. I wanted to better understand the challenges that my friends, my coworkers, and those around me are facing. I felt that I need to better understand a problem to learn a problem in order to be more effective in making change happen. 
one of the valuable things that I learned from this study was how um, my concept of race was tied to genetics was all wrong. So much of what I thought about race is culturally influenced and not genetically. God calls us to love our neighbor, and sometimes loving our neighbor is hard, and often that difficulty comes from not understanding them. John and I would recommend this study to anyone in Ebenezer because this study helped us better understand my friends, our friends, our neighbors, and people we don't even know. I think this study has helped me better shine God's light out to the world around me. Thank you, Nash family. I just want to take a moment and say something. I mentioned last week that somehow this issue of race became a political issue in our society. Became divisive. I just want to tell you that that's not what this Linton study is about. This study is not about making people feel guilty. It's not designed to influence your politics or who you vote for. That's not it. It's about one thing. Learning from our past so that we can help build a better future. Now, some of the folks in our steering team asked some questions. They said, for example, what happens if a group decides they don't want to be part of this study? They just don't want to do it. Well, the answer to that is simple. Groups always have the autonomy to select their own curricula. Nobody has to do this. But I hope you will. Because learning from the past helps build a better future. The second question was asked. It said, someone said, well, what happens if, if the, someone in the group isn't comfortable leading a study like this? And first I just want to say, for each week, there's a scripture passage, there's a video component, and there are study questions. So it feels very much like the other studies that we do as a church. But that said, if you would like, we actually have some volunteers, some folks who went through the study the first time last year who are willing to help in your group and be a guest facilitator if you would like. You can find more information about what lies between us, our Lenten study this year, by going to our digital bulletin. And if you're not already in a small group, I sure hope that you will take this opportunity to get in one for this great study. Did you ever see the movie The Lion King? One of my favorite characters in any children's movie ever is the character of Rafiki in The Lion King. At one point, Rafiki is talking to Simba. And he says this. He says, yes, the past can hurt. You can either run from it or you can learn from it. Dr. Martin Luther King called churches in the 1960s to help lead the work of racial reconciliation and the United Methodist Church heard his indictment and took steps to change. 
comes the midnight. He spoke about 60 years ago. And in our scripture passage today, Jesus tells us that when it's midnight in our lives, one of the things we must do is pray. Pray that our great God will hear us and intercede around us and in us. We must reach out to one another in care and concern. You know, one of the things I love about the story we read today is the audacity of the man who was willing to knock at midnight, who was willing to ask for the thing that he really needed. I want to conclude today by taking the opportunity to remind you that we have a full-time counselor on our staff here at Ebenezer Church. And if it feels like midnight to you, I hope you'll knock. We want to be here for you. That's one lesson from this story. There is no shame in asking and seeking and knocking. In fact, Jesus Christ commands us to do it. And Dr. King helps remind us there's another lesson found in the story. That when ours is the door that gets knocked upon, we only have two choices. We can share our bread or we can bar the door. Who is it that God is calling you to share your bread with this week? How is God calling you to bring light into somebody else's midnight? My brothers and sisters, thank you so much for continuing to join in this series. And I want to invite you back next week. I know it's a holiday weekend, but I've got about 20 of my friends who are helping me preach the sermon next weekend. It's not something that you're going to want to miss. So I hope you'll join us for our next installment of Strength to Love. Until then, let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the promise of Scripture that you always hear us. We give you thanks for the way that you model such tremendous hospitality, the ways that you give and give and give and teach us to do the same. Father, in those moments in our lives when it feels like midnight, give us the grace to reach out to you and to those around us. And Lord, when we encounter others who are in need, others who are facing darkness, others who are knocking on our door. Help us be eager to open those doors and to share whatever bread we might have. Lord, we ask for your grace always, always, always to learn from the past so that we might create a better future that brings you glory and brings light to this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.